going to be in Matthew chapter 16. We've been studying the different portions of scripture that are imperative in the Greek it's imperative mood and this means that it's a command the Lord said in Matthew chapter 28 teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you and we're trying to go through and the life of Christ and look at those different commands that he gave and when we come to the commands we must understand that they are from God, that they're important, that uh, they are imperative. And uh, today we come to verse 6 where we find the command, but we need to read down to verse 12 in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so we find two imperatives here, take heed and beware. And they reason among themselves saying, it is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye, little, o ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets ye took up? neither of the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you would beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how he had bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so... As they traveled, they forgot to buy bread, and, and Jesus is just uh, using that to prompt their minds about just as we need to take care of our physical bodies, we need to be careful of what we take into our spiritual bodies. And he's uh, warning them about false doctrine, and he explains what he was talking about, of course, there in verse 12. And so we'll just note here verse 6 some. Then he said unto them, uh, this is uh, a kind of an abrupt, urgent warning. And uh, he, as I said, uh, uses their forgetfulness about real bread uh, to make some spiritual application. And then the two commands, take heed, has the idea of, to see with our eyes, uh, to see with our mind, to perceive and to know. And so we look and see and, un and understand uh, what's going on. And then beware. And that's an interesting word. It means to bring near. It, it applied to when a ship was coming into the dock to dock. And uh, as you think about that, probably the most, uh, the time when 
the crew is the most alert and cautious is when they're coming into the dock because it could be a disaster. Uh, they wanted to come in and, and, uh, and tie it up and be safe about it. And so he's saying, see with your eyes, see what's going on, think about what the, what's been said, and then beware. And really, I think a good word for that is to be cautious. And when in these, in these commands are in what we call the present tense, which simply means that I need to uh, be looking and thinking and asking questions about everything that comes into my mind in far as uh, religious doctrine, and then to be cautious all the time, be cautious that, that uh, we don't uh, swallow everything that's been told to us. It's kind of like, you know, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if it was so. And so we need to search the, the scriptures. And, and then he uses the word uh, beware of leaven. Uh, when I was uh, a, a little boy, my mom break, baked bread every week. And she'd have a little packet, a little thin packet, and it had yeast in it. And she would put her flour and water and whatever salt and whatever was needed. And then that, that yeast would go into the mix. And it would, uh, the, the bowl that had the dough in it, it would rise up above just almost to flow over the edge. And then I remember she'd poke a hole in it and push it down and let it rise twice. And then she would take it out, cut it into sections and put it in the, put it in the loaf pan and let it raise again and then put it into the oven. So what is it talking about leaven here? Well, it's talking about the fact that just that little packet that probably wasn't even maybe 1% of the whole mass, it permeated throughout the whole mass of, uh, of dough. It, it, it reached every, every portion. It affected every bit of it. And uh, when he's talking about false doctrine, uh, yeast and leaven, it, it, it uh, with um, grape juice, it, and um, it, it would cause something to sour, it causes things to swell up, it spreads, and it affects the whole lump. And remember in 1 Corinthians, the Lord was talking about sin in the church, and he says, a little leaven's going to leaven the whole lump, and you need to remove that sinning person out of your church. And so he's warning here that we can't have this idea that uh, doctrine isn't important. It is important. And false doctrine needs to be guarded against because false doctrine spreads and can corrupt the whole loaf. It's very unimportant in its appearance. It's very small. Doesn't seem like it's going to matter. It can be difficult to detect, but it acts gradually. It, it does affect it's going to act most certainly and 
and it will pervade the souls of men and bring them underneath its control. Now, I want you to look over to Mark chapter 8, and he mentions the leaven of the of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he also mentions some other kind of leaven, uh, another group. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 15, and he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and then the Sadducees, And then it says uh, the Herodians, um, verse 15, and the leaven of Herod, and not just, not just the King Herod, uh, but th those Herodians. Now, when we talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, one way to remember Sadducees, they, didn't, they were more liberal, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and uh, people say the way to remember that is uh, they're sad, you see, because they don't know if they're going to be able to be resurrected. But actually, uh, a d maybe a more modern term for these guys is the Pharisee is the legalist. The Sadducee would be the liberal. And Herod and his group would be the secular. Secular, that is not spelled right. And so he says, well, you're going to have in this realm of Christianity. It goes by the flag of Christianity, but many not Christian at all. The legalist. The legalist down to the very bottom line would believe that you have to do certain things to be saved. Works for salvation. Or, you know, if you don't really, if you don't, uh, if you don't do this, even though they may not, may not, uh, hold to uh, works for salvation, they will say, if you, if you don't do these certain things as a Christian, then you're not really part of the group. <laughs> you're not going to be accepted. That, it, that sanctification, which is a wonderful doctrine and, and a wonderful part of our lives, they're going to say that you need to serve in these matters, in these ways, to really be a, a Christian. And uh, they forget the idea that, not the idea, but the truth that the Lord said that we're accepted in the beloved, that we are accepted in Jesus Christ. And so the, the legalist would really focus upon duty. 
But it's your duty to do this. And that you need to, but the right response is that I don't serve because it's my duty, but I serve because I, because I, because I love the Lord. That I'm doing what I'm doing because I love the Lord. And even like yesterday, you know, you can say, well, the job that I got assigned yesterday, man, this is no fun, you know, and I'm getting tired. And, and then you have to remind yourself, well, wh- wh- what am I doing this for? Am I doing this because they are expected of me or am I doing this because I love the Lord and I want our church property to look good and honor the Lord? And so the legalists and then the liberals, the liberals really, they have no, no, uh, when it comes to holiness, they don't have any, they don't have any standards. The legalists, the, the, the liberals, you, you know, um, there's no standing, no, no, no standard. It's okay to drink and still be a Christian. You can be a church member and still shack up with your girlfriend. Women preachers are acceptable. Homosexual clergy. Uh, legalism versus liberalism, and then the secularists, the Herodians. Well, the Herodians and the secularists really uh, believe that man's ideas are just as good as the Lord's ideas, that we can manage our affairs, our institutions, our schools, our personal lives, we can get along without the influence of Christianity. We don't need you in our life. I'm doing fine. And, uh, and I think sometimes we uh, need to understand that they really believe they're doing fine and so approach them and to, to, approach, a, to pr- approach a secularist and say, listen, if you'll, if you'll accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your life will be completely changed. Well, they're, they're, they're glad of their life right now. <laughs> they, don't, they think their life is fine. And so we need to approach them and, uh, rather in the context of the Bible says that all sin comes short of the glory of God. Do you think you're a good person? Have you sinned? Have you told a lie? Have you looked with lust? And, and uh, not the idea that w- evangelism is telling a person that if they get saved, they'll uh, be on a high that they never come down from the Jesus movement in the 1960s claimed that. And so each of these, the Pharisees, legalists, <coughs> the Bible talks about that we, we can be free and free indeed in Jesus Christ, not free to sin, but free to serve. And then the liberals and the secularists each of these are uh, a real threat to uh, Christianity. Take heed and beware, he says. Paul wrote to Ephesus, he said, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And so we need to Beware. 
and we need to take heed. Yeast is a bacteria that affects the whole. And so a good a good defense against legalism and liberalism and secularism, a good defense against those things is a good offense. Doctrine, 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 doctrine. And you're going to see how many times it's used here pretty quick. But if you know what you believe, then you can see what's wrong. Or you can have a sense of what is wrong. And one of the ways to beware is to know exactly what the Bible teaches. We live in a day that de-emphasizes Bible doctrine. And this quote I'm going to give you goes way back uh, 23 years ago, 2001. Actually, as old as I am, anything in 2000s are, you know, relative like yesterday. But there was, a, there was a singer by the name of Pat Boone. I'm sure you all recognize that name. He was a charismatic. Uh, and he said this, doctrine divides. Experience unites. We don't all have our doctrine completely correct, but God doesn't judge us on our understanding of doctrine. But I want you to look at John chapter 7, seven and verse 17. And see what the Jesus had to say about doctrine. John 7 and 17. Jesus said, if any man will do his will, that's the Lord's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And so one of the things about doctrine is when you, when you find doctrine in the Bible, you find teaching in the Bible, and you find these commands in the Bible, then if we do them, we don't just know what they say, but we do them, then we can know the truth. Now, I want you to... I want you to, you know this verse, but let me, I want you to look at it with your own eyes. Go back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And verse 7. Psalms 19 and 7. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That word simple, it's very interesting. I, I think it's amazing. The word simple means open-minded and so I'm talking to somebody and I bring up a certain scripture about you know 
they're saying it's okay for women to preach, and I say, well, the Bible says that a woman's not to teach nor usurp authority over over a man. That's what the Bible says. And she will say, or he will say, you're not very open-minded. Well, what this verse is saying, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, and the testimony of the Lord making wise is simple. When we, when the when the simple is made wise, his mind is closed except to the truth. Proper doctrine, when the Bible says it, that settles it, whether we believe it or not. But surely you should believe it. If the Bible says it, we should believe it, and that settles it. It closes my mind. When Jesus says, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not yourselves, not a works lest any man should boast, then all other avenues that are promoted for salvation, I'm closed mind to that. And that's a doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching. And that's a doctrine. And Jesus says, beware, because, listen, wrong doctrine can send you to hell. And so doctrine is important. Paul charged Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The New Testament uses the word doctrine 140 times. And what's interesting is in 1st and 2nd Timothy, not very long book, instructions to, to, to Timothy to set things in order in a church, the word doctrine in these two books is used 59 times, and, and uh, sometimes it's not just the word doctrine, but it's words that relate to that. But the context. And so uh, let's go for a little um, fast trip on the Autobahn here. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And verse 42. They received the word was baptized. And then it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. Saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And so that when they were told not to preach Christ, they're going to keep giving doctrine. Look in Romans chapter 6. Romans, is doctrine important? Doctrine divides. Experiences unite. What kind of experience is that? Is speaking in tongues a, a Holy Spirit experience or another kind of spirit experience? Romans 16 and 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark those which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. That's pretty powerful. 
just anybody can't come in here and want to join up with us and just be babbling whatever they say. It's got to be biblical. And it says to avoid them. Doctrine is important. And Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. Take heed. Beware. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and 14. That we henceforth be no more, he's telling them uh, that we ought to study. And, and uh, he says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He's warning here, the Ephesians, that there's going to come people and, and they're going to have all kinds of different doctrines. And he said they're going to try to deceive you. Now, these will be a little closer because they're going to get over there into 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy where the, the word doctrine is used and Paul is charging this young preacher and in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse, verse 3, and, by, and I besought thee to, to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. A church is not a place for all different thoughts. And uh, what's happened, we'll look at this again, but listen. This is absolute authority. Absolute authority. Look at chapter 4 here of 1 Timothy and verse 13. He tells him as a young preacher that no man despise thy youth in verse 12. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. I know that, that we need to be trying to reach souls for Christ. But one of the things he charges Timothy was that he takes time there is a lot of time in his life to give attention to what is doctrine, what is right, what the Bible says, that doctrine matters. Look in verse 16. Take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. And for in doing this, you shall both save thyself and them that hear thee. He's saying there's something about doctrine that affects your soul and it enables you to escape some things and to be in the right path. That, that doctrine is important not only to secure your life, not for salvation, but to, to just to have a run on a narrow path and a, and a good path, and it also affects those people who hear it. Chapter 5 and verse 17 that the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. Teaching sound doctrine. The word doctrine has to do with teaching. And they labor. That they spend time studying. Chapter 6 and verse 1. 
Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed, that the doctrine might be held high. Um, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, very familiar verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I hope you're seeing that this D word is not a bad word. It's a great word. Chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And let me say to you that a preacher who reproves, rebukes, and exhorts and doesn't do it with long suffering and doesn't do it with teaching is not worth his salt. Doctrine, teaching. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's why we got to give them sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Titus 1 and verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as ye have been taught that ye may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Listen, you're not going uh, to convince anybody who doesn't see it your way without doctrine, without the Bible. We can't argue with man on a physical basis or with, with my little weak mind. Where the power is, is in the Word of God. It's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, discerning their thoughts and intents of the heart. If I, know my do- if I know what the Bible says, a good defense is a good offense. If I know what the Bible says, and this person says, well, you can be saved by uh, doing this and this and joining the church and part of being being um, part of salvation is yes, you got to believe in Christ, but ch- the church, the church goes together hand in hand with obtaining salvation, and you and you say, hmm, it seems like that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, and that <clears throat> that there's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That salvation is in a person, and not in a process. Sound doctrine. And then uh, chapter 2 and verse 10 here. Not purloining, but showing a good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. First John says we're to abide in doctrine. Second John says that we are grounded in the truth. Now, go back to 2 Timothy 2 and 14. Fifteen minutes. I might chase a few rabbits. <laughs> Consequences of uh, of um, false doctrine. Second Timothy two fourteen. Of these things, put them in remembrance. 
charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Strive about words. It's like a, a war of words. So don't be arguing words. You see, uh, it's typical of false teachers to say, well, uh, does it really mean that? Man's reasoning would say that when a person dies and goes to hell, he's annihilated. You know, come on, let's think about this. This would be reasonable. God wouldn't punish someone forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't, I don't like that teaching. I personally don't like it. But it's not up to me what I like. It's up to what the Bible says. And, and <coughs> What he's talking about, here's the, here's the deal. When people are arguing about biblical things, they come from two different worldviews. One worldview is that man has a ability to reason and he um, he can um, he argues from reality he does he questions whether God's word is absolute and we argue those that are spiritual argue that God said it, that settles it. And there are some things in here that uh, that uh, ought to be taken by faith. I just did a, I've been working on a message on when they, when they crossed the Red Sea. And you know, uh, there's a pretty big group of men that said they didn't cross the Red Sea, but they crossed the Reed Sea. And Israel was up there in a swampy area, and Israel was on foot, and they walked through there. But those chariots with them horses are so heavy that they sunk in the mud, and Israel escaped. But the Bible, in a, if you put it to song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider fell into the sea. They're covered up, destroyed. Well, the Bible says it. So, so here, they're arguing from a, from a humanistic standpoint. And I'm not saying that... that uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that we argue from a blind faith standpoint. People say, well, you believe that, you just have blind faith. No, I don't just have blind faith. 
There's so many things in the Bible that are absolutes and, and they're proven to me in my life, not only by experience, but by just seeing that this is what the Word of God says and this is how it is, and it's just telling it how it is. And there's so and there's so many evidences that the Word of God is true. But it says what's going to happen, it says to the sub, subverting of the soul. Now, I want to give you that word subverting in um, the Greek word. I, I won't spell it with the Greek alphabet. But subverting is Anyone want to take a guess what that says? Catastrophe. Wrong doctrine is going to be a catastrophe in your life. And it's used one other place in the Bible, and that is where it says that Solomon Gabor and turning the cities of Solomon Gabor into, into ashes, condemned them. That it destroyed Solomon Gomorrah. The false doctrine has the ability to destroy your life. How do you, how did we get to the place that Episcopals, Evangelical Lutherans, United Methodists, Presbyterian USA, the United Church of Christ support abortion rights? How is it that we have numerous members of the Southern Baptist Convention believing in theistic evolution how is it that, quote, Baptist churches allow women preachers? How is it that the American Baptist Church USA receives unrepentant homosexuals as members? Why do many churches approve divorce without any cause? How is it that pastors can be involved in immorality yet remain in the pastorate? How is it that the husband is no longer the head of the home? How is it that wives have no commitment to their children in the home to be keepers at home and to love their children and love their husbands? Well, the answer to that is false doctrine. How is it so many churches are involved in the charismatic movement, which is simply <laughs> mysticism and half-baked Christianity? And so, it's going to subvert the soul. Number one, the consequence. Number two, consequence. It brings. It's going to bring shame. To the teacher. Bring shame to the teacher. And it says there in 2.15, Study to thyselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Just last month I was in a, uh, in a conversation where the, this pastor in this church 
he he uh, was taking a position that the Lord's Supper could be uh, observed by anybody that was there, and uh, a couple of other things, and there were some good solid members there that that had been taught otherwise, and so they got three members of the church together, men that were solid men. And they approached the pastor, can we have lessons with you so we can teach you what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper? I don't know about you, but I'd have been ashamed. I'm to feed the flock and not the flock feed me. And so false doctrine brings um, shame. Anyone who misrepresents God's word by giving false teaching and confusion ought to be ashamed. I don't care if he has a PhD behind his name. And so the key word here is study. And study implies work, endeavoring, giving diligence. And then it brings ungodliness. False teaching. A church that has false teaching is going to eventually expose itself with ungodliness. A man who has false teaching is eventually going to expose himself with ungodliness. Do we have to look any further than Jimmy Swaggart or who is that other guy, uh, uh, Jim what yeah, Baker, yeah. But those guys aren't even, you know, but you look in the Baptist circles too, and with false teaching, there's going to become ungodliness. Maybe you should look uh, west of here in Fairbanks. That's what it says in 2.16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. I'm telling you, all false teaching is going to result in ungodliness. And then it's going to it's going to spread. It's going to spread like gang gangrene. Look there in uh, verse 16. Uh, let's see. Oh, verse 17. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, those guys I mentioned other places, denying the resurrection. But that word canker is the word gangrene. And what I could read about gangrene, that gangrene could just begin a little tiny, little tiny uh, penetration of your skin, but sh very rapidly it increases your whole body. That's why. That's why when uh, when some 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 cases gangrene in an extremity, it, let's say you got it in your leg, they're going to cut the leg off 
because it's going to continue on and it's going to destroy the body. It's going to kill you. And so he's saying the false teaching goes real fast, but it carries with us with it death. And so when Jesus said in the book of Matthew, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees and then in Mark of, the, of Herod and Herodians, he's saying that, that uh, he's given us a command that needs to be heeded. And I'm telling you that today, and hopefully from the verses that we've looked at, it's important what you're being taught. And it's important that you have a Berean mindset. Not always questioning the preacher, you know, but a mindset of saying, is that what it really means? We ought to be able to trust our pastor, and I'm sure you do, but uh, can you be wrong? I've been wrong and found out later and come back and say, hey, you know what? I taught you guys wrong on this. I didn't understand it. We need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And that it does matter what church you go to. Look around at some of these churches. Look at what their product is. And I'm not saying that we can't have bad, you know, bad results here too because people are people and sinners are sinners. But it shouldn't be caused by a false doctrine. Doctrine's important. Have I convinced you? I hope I have. It matters what you believe. It matters where you draw the line. It matters what mountain you're going to die on. Because, because the first one is that it'll, it'll uh, what was the first one? Uh, those who listen, subverting of the soul, saying to the teacher, ungodly life, it spreads like gangrene. Because what happens, false doctrine, and teachers of false doctrine, they make themselves the standard. And they think it's okay to question the word of God. That's a, that's a, that's a battle that you're going to lose every time. Okay? All right, you're dismissed.